I'm Kate Daniels. Let's get a good focus on mental health during this pandemic time, because it's a condition that can possibly be more hidden at this time when we are socially distancing. And it is something that has the potential to be additionally stressful on our kids. So to help us get a better perspective, we have with us Jack Schreiner, lead psychotherapist with PacMed here in the Puget Sound area. Jack Schreiner, good morning. Thank you so greatly for being with us today. It's good to be here, Kate. Thank you. You are doing some very important, very much needed work in general. But now during this time of the pandemic crisis, I would imagine with mental health, it's becoming perhaps more of a critical issue than you've experienced, say, pre-COVID. Is that a fair judgment? It is fair indeed. Yeah, I I, I think generally speaking, um, you know, what the pandemic is doing for everyone is it's it's making it so that, you know, if you have some sort of um, mental health condition or even a a tendency towards having um, any sort of problem with, um, you know, depression or anxiety, uh, the pandemic is is forcing people probably to um, have to pay more attention to uh, what's right in in front of them uh, rather than... uh, you know, being able to get so caught up in the, the usual distractions that, that we have um, just going through our lives, right? Because it's, it's kind of caused everything to either uh, come to a halt or um, slow down considerably. So <laughs> it's kind of making us face things about ourselves uh, ultimately. So, so in that sense, I think you're right, Kate. Yeah. So the reason that we are here this morning is because you do this very important work with uh, Pacific Medical Centers here in the greater Puget Sound area. You are the lead psychotherapist. So tell us a little bit about what it is that you do within your work, the scope of your work. Yeah, thanks. Um, Well, I have been working as a mental health therapist for 12 years now, and eight of those years have been at Pacific Medical Centers, or PACMED for short, of course. Um, And, you know, the work of a therapist is is kind of, you know, you you hunker down and um, you spend hour after hour um, working with people, mostly one-on-one. And, you know, before the pandemic, the typical... Um, day-to-day existence of a therapist is, you know, you're in your office and um, you meet with a person for about 45 or 50 minutes and you chat with them about their mental health problems and you work on those things. Um, And then uh, you have a little bit of a break and then on to the next person. And, uh, you know, um, I'm I'm used to meeting with uh, up to about six or seven people a day. And, um, you know, um, the, the conditions that we usually see come through the clinic um, are in the realm of depression and anxiety problems. And, um, you know, there's a lot of variation within that anxiety problems. There are a lot of different ones that that, um, folks might be familiar with, right? Um, uh, You could kind of have anxiety about sort of general things in your life. You could have anxiety about um, social activities. So that would be social anxiety. Um, You, you know, there's also anxiety that can develop um, after going through a traumatic experience, and so that would be post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, so we, we definitely uh, treat all, all those kinds of things in the clinic. So you were mentioning that normally you would see six to seven people a day. Is that still the case for you at this time? 
It is indeed. And in fact, um, because people are um, probably a little less uh, busy, um, you know, and, and obviously for some people who are furloughed or laid off, they're, they're a lot less busy. Um, people are actually even more um, kind of on it with uh, keeping their appointments. Um, whereas in the past, you know, it, it might have been more common for people to, oops, I, sorry, I missed it. I, I forgot to come to the clinic today, you know, and maybe missed their appointment. So, yeah, I've been, I've been very busy personally um, during this time. Um, so definitely still six to seven people a day, uh, but now working virtually, of course. And, and that's a key part here is to make our listeners aware that uh, if this is an area that they feel that they need some support in, that these uh, opportunities are, still exist and they're being done virtually. And so having that shift, and we've been in this long enough now, Jack, what is your experience of meeting people virtually versus in person? Yeah, um, it's been um, a good challenge. <laughs> Definitely took some transitioning on my part. You know, I'm I'm used to, um, you know, over over the last twelve years. You know, I, I feel like um, I've really honed my skills of being present with people. Uh, um, there's there's just something that you get when you're when you're practicing empathy with something with someone. There's there's just something about being in the same room with them that has a weight to it, that has a power to it, um, where, um, you, you know, sometimes when I'm with a patient um, and they're feeling some strong emotions, you know, sometimes I don't have to say anything. They can just see that I am with them and understand and empathize just from my facial expression or something. Or even just from me bearing witness to what they're feeling without even needing to say anything, uh, or they, they can just kind of know that I'm there and that I'm not judging them. And that can be really therapeutic and healing for somebody. And so, yeah, it definitely was a challenge at first to um, not have the ability to be in the same room with someone and then, you know, have my experience with them be more literally two-dimensional where I'm just looking at them on the screen. And even at the beginning, um, the first couple of weeks of the pandemic, we, we didn't even have video uh, therapy set up yet, so we were just using the telephone. Um, but, uh, no, it's been a challenge, but, but I am also surprised by how I've, I've really adapted to it. And I think patients are really, um, are really pretty okay with it. Um, I feel like the, the quality of the sessions I'm having with people are pretty much comparable to what we had in person. Um, obviously, again, it being a little bit different um, with not being in the same room, but, but you know, I, I think we're still able to really get to good, um, important material for people by meeting with them virtually. And so um, I'm glad that resource is there for us. And I think it's really helping people. And I am glad to hear that. And it's helping to kind of establish here, I think, a, a, a foundation as to what's available and how it really is working very constructively for people. Because here we are, I was uh thinking about the timing of this. I, I thought when we first started this back in March, oh, it's going to be about a couple of weeks because that seemed like a lot of time. Now we're going into right. A, right? Now we're going into That's like right. the third month. So this kind of has an effect on people. That isolation uh, of the distancing. Are you finding that uh, you're experiencing that? You're getting that input from people who might be reaching out to you. 
Yeah, um, by that, are you you're just wondering? Are are is it, does this end up being a theme for people that they're um, that they're really being affected by the isolation? Yes, is that way you're kind of asking. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Although I, I, I want to say that there's just a wide spectrum of experiences for people. And um, I think it really, um, how how the lockdown is affecting people really depends on people's unique circumstances, right? So um, I'd say that especially in the Seattle region, um, there are some, um, you know, tech sort of people, people working in tech where, um, you know, it was very easy for them to shift to working remotely. And um and, you know, they were able to, able to keep their job because, you know, for example, they're working for Amazon and Amazon is doing pretty well during the pandemic, right? Because they can still do what they were doing before. And so that kind of person, um, you know, they're not necessarily, uh, you know, I, I'm just speaking broadly here. Obviously, there's variation within these groups, but I think that kind of person with that kind of situation isn't necessarily... Um, you know, suffering as much uh, during this time because, hey, you know, no big deal. I'll just work from home. You know, I've got a home office and, you know, I can I can do my coding from home and no big deal. Um, but, you know, obviously there are others who um, have been facing uh, uh, getting furloughed or laid off. Um, and so the isolation is quite a different thing because it's isolation plus a lot of uncertainty about uh, their finances and the future of their career and all that kind of stuff. So therefore, yeah. it's having that a, a negative impact on that portion of the population. Right. Yeah. And then I wanted to say another thing too. I think there's a variation in experiences depending on um, people's tendency before the pandemic um, to be more introverted or extroverted. Um, and those are fancy words, but I think people generally know what that means. Um, so it's like if you were more of a private person to begin with um, and, and weren't that uh, reliant on a social life to feel happy, um, you know, you're, you're not getting you're, you're not feeling uh, the weight of this as, as strongly as somebody who maybe, um, let's say, was, was single and living alone. But but um, the way their, their way of feeling happy was to just go out and, and hang out all the time. You know, that kind of person is really is really especially struggling, I think, at this time, psychologically, because you can't rely on that anymore. And, of course, there's still um, an ability to connect with friends and family virtually, but it's just, you know, it's not quite the same. And, and obviously, we can talk more about that later in the conversation, but, but yeah. Right. So I think it, people's experience differs in that way, too, yeah. And what about, this is an area that I really feel concerned about, is is our youth. So in a family structure, whatever that family might be, uh, with both parents, with single parents, but you have kids uh, of varying ages, how have you been seeing any young people and, and the impact it's having on them? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think you know, um, asking ourselves how how is uh, a, a big problem in our in our world affecting young people? That's a really important question. Um, so they're they're some of our most vulnerable, right? Um, yeah, you know, th- there's a lot of variation there too, and, and it really depends on the age. I think. Um, I think that um, for you know, really young kids, you know. Um, they're facing, you know, not being able to go to preschool or daycare anymore, right? Those all closed down. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty among parents as to what's going to happen when some of these um, places try to open up again. You know, there's uncertainty about, okay, if my child's 
preschool reopens, you know, are they going to get coronavirus? You know, is this really going to work? Uh, to, to practice all the hygiene and the CDC recommendations for social distancing within a, a preschool environment, you know, that sort of thing. And so just a lot of uncertainty there and a, a big disruption in that child's um, social life um, in a way that uh, for someone that young, they can't just transition over very easily to, oh, just get on Zoom, hop on Zoom, you know, five-year-old, you know. Right. Um, it, it's, that's really a loss there for that younger kid um, to just, not have um, the social life anymore that they had because that's a really important part of a, a young child's development is uh, being able to be with peers and learn about, um, you know, how that works. So, uh, you know, it's hitting young people in that way, younger kids. And then I think um, when a child's older and you get into sort of adolescence, the, the, the teenage experience uh, during this time, I think... Um, Sort of the big challenges there, I think we definitely hear about teens missing out on kind of milestones during this time, uh, kind of life milestones that they were getting really excited about. So it's like definitely high school seniors not being able to, to have an actual graduation ceremony. That, that's really been a, a hard thing for people to take. Um, you know, there's, there's kids uh, and adolescents are trying to do online schooling, but uh, I feel like that is that's got challenges too. It's, it's it's a bit clunky. It's not always easy to navigate how to do that. Um, and and then in general too, I just you know, as you were kind of uh, touching upon, you know, um, there are definitely family situations out there where the parents are both working or there's a single parent who's working, and there's just not there's not as much of an ability maybe to to really supervise and, and help provide a structure for children. And, um, uh, you know, kids, kids really like, uh, thrive with being able to predict what's going to happen next in their day and in their week and in the year. And so, um, that's been, that's been a challenge too, um, for, for that predictability, not to, not to be there anymore. So yeah, a lot of different things there. And in terms of young people, and we were talking about what it does for like the younger kids, preschool and such, does even at that age, could they experience depression? Or I know we've heard of kids certainly within uh, primary grades maybe experiencing it. Uh, mm-hmm. What is the story there, Jack? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, depression, um, what can I say? You know, the depression, you know, a, a young child can definitely experience depression. Um but it, it, it shows itself in different ways uh, along the uh, uh, along the path of child development, right? And so um, I, I think when your average person thinks about what depression sounds like and looks like in a person, they're probably thinking more about what it sounds and looks like in a, in a person starting with, uh, you know, middle school years onward. Um, so for a younger child, though, I feel like, you know, it might just show itself as... Um, you know, looking less energetic and less motivated and and kind of looking down in the dumps and not being as excited about the day. <laughs> um, so does that make sense? Uh, yes. Whereas, whereas I think, I think in, in middle school onward, you're going to hear more, um, you know, the, 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 the child is going to have more of a, uh, a language to say, Oh, you know, 
I feel hopeless about life. Um, you know, what's the point of existence? You know, um, I feel like I don't belong. You know, nothing I do is right. Um, you're going to hear that more from, from children, you know, around age 10 uh, and older. But, yeah, I mean, certainly for a younger child, as I said, um, you know, you might see depression show up as sort of a, uh, just a lack of excitement, a lack of energy, because that, that's more normal to see in a younger child is enthusiasm, right? And uh, flexing that imagination muscle a little bit for a young child, maybe if they're not doing that as much, you say, oh, you know, what's, what's going on? <clears throat> what's going on here? So in seeing that, you know, would would some of it be such that, you know, um, engaging them perhaps more in some sort of family activity, uh, you know, playing games, we can't get out very much yet. Is it that sort of right. thing? Or should they be seeking, at what point would a parent seek some medical help? Oh, yeah, right, right. So... You know, I, I think um, it's important to, to recognize that, um, you know, medical help should definitely come, you know, if, if you're on the fence about whether to um, try to seek medical help for your child, I, I think um, you want to look at um, how the child is functioning uh, in, in their relationships and with school. And um, so if, if, if there are major problems with the way they're kind of able to function, um, you know, at, at home, uh, per se, where, um, you know, their the relationships with uh, family members that just have really changed. They've just noticed a big change where they're just not communicating anymore or uh, their sleep or appetite is off, too. Um, and uh, those are probably signs, you know, because that's a functioning thing where you say, oh, you know, like, the, their their way of showing up uh, for life looks looks different now than it used to be, um, and then you know for older children it's like um, if their engagement with school seems to change a lot um, as well. Um, that's another sign that okay their school functioning is really deteriorated. Um, it's time to seek medical help. And definitely for older children too, and for adolescents, um, if there's any sign of um, self harm or um, uh, language from the, the young person that indicates that they might be struggling with uh, thoughts of depression, you know, that's definitely a clear sign that um, you should seek medical help for your child. And so at this point, I, I might suggest that people go to your the website for uh, PacMed and, and find um, the article about you, and you've written, I think, a very good article about uh, youth and what to look for and uh, ways to seek advice. Oh, yeah. Thank you. So mm-hmm. so people would just go to pacmed.org, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it's, uh, let me, let me wrote this down. Um, it is pacificmedicalcenters.org is, is the website. And yeah, there's a there's a search feature there. You can you can just search for my name, Jack Schreiner, and yeah, there's an article there about how to look for warning signs uh, your child or adolescent for depression. Yeah, and thoughts of suicide, which is one of the critical things here. Not I don't know what the statistics are necessarily, but I know even mm-hmm. before the pandemic, we were reaching some crisis levels 
on their own in terms of this of young people and thoughts of suicide. So there is the potential in this kind of isolation that could be almost like that pressure cooker again. I think you're right. I think you're right that um, there's a risk there that um, if if that child um, was already struggling with depression or anxiety or suicidal thinking and, um, you know, they don't have uh, sort of the resources they need to work that out with a a loved one. um, Yeah, I I think there's a risk that it could get worse during this time. Yeah. So given these circumstances, and obviously we're in it kind of for the long term and uh, when it will end um, is is kind of uncertain, it's a bit murky, what is your thought, your recommendation on how we can connect and ways that would be very helpful for us? Definitely. Well, um, I want to start by first kind of... um, giving a suggestion for parents out there um, about how to uh, be a good um, active listener with your child. I think this is really important. Um, you're, you're bringing up these good questions about, you know, um, what to look out for if you're concerned about your child's uh, mental health and if you're concerned that your child is having a problem with depression or anxiety. Um, because, you know, parents, parents, um, almost always really mean well and are trying to do the right thing, but sometimes um, didn't grow up themselves with adults in their lives who um, were good at active listening and good at kind of bonding and, and um, really kind of being there with their with their child. And so they didn't grow up with that. And so they, they're not really always familiar with the language of that and what it, what it feels like to do that with your child. And so um, there's actually a, a something called the ORS model of uh, active listening. Um, and these are just listening skills that therapists use every day. It's ORS, it's O-A-R-S. Um, you, can, you can Google it. Um, and that's short for um, a few different things that you can remember to do when you're speaking with your child. So the O stands for open-ended questions. The A stands for affirmations. The R stands for reflections. And the S stands for summaries. So these are things that, that, that it's good. you can just kind of try to keep in mind when you're trying to connect with your child and kind of learn about how they're doing. And um, so I'll give you some examples, right? So why are open-ended questions important for a child, for when you're speaking with a child? Well, you know, it's, uh, it's a way that you can really show that curiosity and, and show that you're, you're just open to hearing um, whatever they have to say, even if it's something really difficult. And, um, you know, open-ended questions would mean um, that it's a question that, you know, it doesn't require a yes or no answer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and um, the A is for affirmations, and what are affirmations? That's basically encouraging statements. That's a statement that is really, um, you know, a statement that is really um, su- supportive, saying, hey, I'm, I'm here for you, I'm here to listen, you know, I really appreciate you, I really love you. Um, those are really important. Um, reflections, what does that mean? Um, that's simply um, paraphrasing what your child is telling you. So if the child is saying, you know, I feel, um, I've been really feeling sad recently, I've been really, really feeling scared recently about the coronavirus, you say, oh my goodness, you're feeling really scared. But even that, you're just, just repeating what they said, but even that actually really helps the child feel listened to because they, they can tell that you're tracking what they're saying and you're not just distracted or something. Right. And then the S is for summaries, and that can help, you know, 
basically after a child shares a number of things, you say, okay, let me make sure I've got this right. All right, you're saying you feel this way, you feel that way. <laughs> See, and you kind of lift what they've just told you. And um, I've found it a neat thing to keep in mind myself when I'm, you know, working with people to remember, you know, how am I using the ORS model when I'm speaking with people? Um, yeah, so there's that. So that's about connecting with your loved ones kind of um, during the pandemic. But um, you were asking about how can we connect in general during the pandemic. And um, what I hear from that question, too, is, like, how can we all connect, you know, people that are um, quarantining, how can we stay connected with loved ones who are not with us in quarantine, you know, who are living somewhere else and we're trying to stay connected to. And I think, I think the thing that I think is important to remember there is to, just try to remember to um, share share your stories with people, and and um, when in doubt, use the telephone, use a voice call, use a, a video call, you know, with whatever um, platform is, uh, you like, you know, whether it's Zoom or or um, uh, Google Meet or whatever it is, uh, FaceTime if you have an iPhone. That that's going to give you kind of a deeper uh, interaction with your loved one, right? Versus just kind of texting or just using uh, social media. Because um, this is just such a, uh, an unusual and uncertain time. And I think it's, it's a really good time to try to cultivate deeper relationships with people. And so I think in this time where you have to connect with people virtually, nothing really beats like the telephone, <laughs> picking up the phone, or even honestly sending uh, an old-fashioned letter in the mail. Um, and, you know, if you have kids, you know, you can try to be creative with sending a letter and, you know, do some artwork on it and, and make it kind of fun, um, make it like a, a project you can do with your child. But I don't know. These are some of the things I have in mind for how to stay connected with other people while we're still, you know, on lockdown. Actually, I, I like that. I see this, Jack, as a kind of maybe moving back to a simpler time when we did write letters, when we did make... I agree. Right? (laughs) Which uh, maybe all of this is about helping us to kind of simplify. Maybe we were in too much of a fast-forward mode and and kind of rushing through life without really taking time with that proverbial stop-and-smell-the-roses kind of thing. I agree with you. I, I think that is one silver lining to this dark cloud is uh, is that it is it is kind of forcing us to uh, simplify. You're right. Mm-hmm. And and that isn't though to at all dismiss you know some how this can be really extra challenging for for some people not to discount that and to know that there right. are resources there are ways to to get help and help is constantly available as we talked earlier on right Jack. That's, that's correct. Yeah, there's plenty of help out there. There are plenty of um, mental health professionals who um, are available to work with you. So once again, let's give the website where people can get more information. And specifically, I'd love to have them uh, read your article because I think there's a great information and insight there. Oh, thanks so much. Yes. Yeah, so the website again for PACMED is um, Pacific Medical Centers, uh, plural, right? Centers. Great. And there you can search for the different clinics because there are a lot of them. Yeah, um, we have nine uh, locations for PacMed, and we have 16 therapists and five medication prescribers as well. 
And you said yeah, you're just a at, okay, and you're just as busy mm-hmm. as you were pre-pandemic. That's correct. That's correct. We're staying busy. Virtual visits are available. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. Well, that is really good news in in the sense of, you know, help being there when we need it. And Jack Schreiner, I really appreciate that you do this work, that you're so passionate about it, and that you did take this time with us this morning to provide these important insights. Well, thanks so much, Kate. Um, I, I appreciate the time, and it's good to talk with you about it. Wonderful to connect with you as well. Thanks, Jack.